Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of Sounding Board, a monthly music podcast with about as high a level of popularity as Bulgarian line dancing. <laughs> That's what the hits tell us anyway. I'm Rob Langham and I'm back this month with my fellow ever-present Ben Wallhead. Hello Ben. Hello. And Amy Laurent, returning to the pod after wowing audiences back in the summer during our Pet Sounds <laughs> episode. It's good to be back. Yeah, great. Great to have you back. Tonight we'll be running down our top 10 albums of 2016 as voted for by the pod's appearance makers using a methodology that is more suspect than those deployed by the Florida returning officers back in the year 2000, <laughs> but probably far more credible than that of leading music sites Pitchfork, The Quietus and Their Ilk. So there. First though, and in now traditional fashion, and as we at home in on Christmas, you of course may be listening to this sat on a sunbed sipping a pina colada in July... News items, guys. Anything that's sprung to mind this week? Um, well, the episode is going to be a, a look back at um, the best of 2016, um, but I'll kick it off by looking forward to 2017. Um, it already seems to be promising much. Um, Thursday, the 8th of December, there were two big announcements that caught my eye. Um, first was um, Governed by Contagions, which is the first new material from Matt the Drive-In since 2000's mm. Relationship with Command. Mm. Um, first taste of a forthcoming new album. Uh, it's reliably intense. I mean, I, I quite like the Mars Volta um, for the most part, um, but it's definitely a relief to hear that um, the, the main duo haven't lost their ability to write a, a punchy sub-four-minute uh, rock song. The lyrics are typically pretentious and cryptic. Um, <laughs> in the words of Alan <laughs> Partridge, it's, it's word, <laughs> word porridge, it really is. But <laughs> en- entertaining, so I, I, I love it, I love it. Um, there's, there's a prize for anyone who can work out what it's about, I've got no idea. Um, on, on a sort of related note, <clears throat> um, Omar Rodriguez Lopez, the Miles Volta and uh, the driving guitarist, actually also has an, a new side project um, with Melvin's mainstays, Buzz Osborne and Dale Crover. Um, they're called um, Crystal Fairy, um, and they're also going to be releasing an album in 2017. Uh, they've unveiled a couple of songs so far, um, Drugs on the Bus and Chiseler, both of which, very good, sound a lot like Melvin's. I think that's because... Uh, Omar Rodriguez Lopez is on bass, I think, not guitar. Okay. Um, also on the uh, Thursday, eighth of December, um, amputation. First new material from Jesus and Mary Chain since nineteen ninety eight. Yes, uh, Monkey. Um, it's the first taste of the forthcoming album, Damaging Joy, uh, which was um, the existence of which was only revealed by Alan McGee in November. Um, it's a bit like hearing a new Dinosaur Junior track in that it's new but it's also instantly and wonderfully familiar yeah. very 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 welcome um and just to wrap up for me um in the last episode brian was talking about um stocking fillers um <clears throat> and i um i came across something that would be would certainly fill a stocking um probably only um if you're looking for the perfect gift for someone you hate and that's uh, billy corgan's released his eight hour long jam Inspired by Herman Hesse's novel Siddhartha as a oh, box set. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that will definitely fill a stocking for you. I think it's $375. Really? So, yeah, and it, and it includes, I think it includes a mini synth player or something. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's not for me. I will say that. <laughs> so, so pretentious. Yeah. No, I mean, t- talking of, uh, of 2017, we're hoping that the, the first episode of, of next year, which we hope Amy's going to be involved in as well, and Neil will be making a return, we hope, for that episode as well will be recorded towards the end of January and looking at some of the bands that we're looking out for and artists in in, in, in that year. So uh, um, whereas this year we look back on some of the kind of 
you know, best of 2015 at the start of 2016. Um, we're going to get that out of the way in this episode, and next month we're going to be looking forward. Amy, any thoughts on the and any things that you want to talk about? I think you're quite excited about one particular. I thing. am. I am. Mm-hmm. I only have one item. I have to start it with this with the disclaimer because we're going to be talking about our favorite albums of 2016 today, and. But the actual fact is that the album I've listened to the most this year is the Hamilton cast album, which came out last year, so I can't talk about it. And honestly, as much as I'm going to be standing all over some of the albums on this list, nothing comes close to the towering achievement that is the Hamilton cast album for this year or any year, probably, frankly. But a couple of weeks ago, the Hamilton mixtape was released. Um, became available to stream in any case, which is how I started to hear it. So this is various artists' interpretations of songs from Hamilton. And some of them are straight-up cover versions, and others are more like hip-hop tracks that use samples and then extrapolate them into something new, and those tend to be the most interesting songs on the album, in my opinion. And the best of all, it includes some tracks that were cut from the musical itself, including Angelica Schuyler's Congratulations, that really completes her arc, which a lot of people feel got short shrift in the second act. So it's really thoughtfully put together, and as with any great mixtape, they've really thought through the sequencing which draws parallels between tracks that don't sit together in the musical itself. So it's totally worth checking out if you love Hamilton. And if you don't know Hamilton, what are you doing going into Hamilton? <laughs> well, I have to say this is something that Amy recommended to me, but rarely I had actually already purchased it, and I'm, I'm a fan as well. Um, huge length notwithstanding, so difficult mm. to listen to in one sitting unless you want a big, big car drive. <laughs> have you seen the show? Well, no, because it's not available. It's not in London until next October, I think. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so tickets go on sale next month. So if you really do want to go and see it, get on it, because tickets are going to be extremely hard to come by. You have to be on perma-refresh. Yes, yes, yes. On your screen. Yeah, no, good present for people, though. You know, I'm sure people would be uh, keen to go to that if members of your family want to. Um, On a slightly more sombre note, and actually several weeks old now... Uh, the death of Leonard Cohen, I think it would be remiss of us not to mention it. I have to admit, I'm not a fan myself. Um, I do like his lyrics and like his voice, but I sometimes find, I was talking to Neil today about this, I sometimes find the instrumentation a little bit middle of the road, and Mm. he's definitely not a favourite of mine, I would have to say, Um, as opposed to my girlfriend who absolutely loves him. But um, we did buy the album um, at the weekend, the new one. It's quite short, 35, 36 minutes. Um, and actually, I thought it was pretty good. You know, I thought it it was like as enjoyable a Leonard Cohen album as I'd heard. Mm. And, um, you know, I think a, a fitting send-off for someone who I know a lot of people who listen to the pod and have appeared on the pod have a lot of love for. So uh, very sad to see another celebrity pass away in 2016. I, um, yeah. I saw him... Um, Glastonbury, uh, which year would it have been? 2008 or nine, mm. And yeah, I, I have to say, I don't really know an awful lot about him. Certainly not as much as I feel I should, but he was absolutely captivating because that <clears throat> on the Pyramid stage, it's a huge, great stage, and yet he made it seem very personal and intense as if it was just in a small club which is quite an art really on that stage mm, yeah, um, only the very best performers can do that yeah yeah I mean Nick yeah. Cave did it last year I think and he's done it on that stage before but but Leonard Cohen very much in the same sort of mould and he spent you know for someone who's supposedly you know the songs are often very <laughs> sombre and very dark um, he spent most of the time with a, with a sort of smile on his face not quite able to believe I think that there were so many people there to watch him um, mm. but it was, it was spellbinding yeah really spellbinding yeah, no, sad news. 
So, on to the top 10. Anybody who knows me well will know I rather like a list. In fact, someone once sent me a Christmas card and said, I hope this is going to be in your top 10 Christmases <laughs> ever, Rob. Um, and yes, the lists have obviously been coming at us thick and fast from a variety of websites over the last uh, week or two. Um, so we put our own spin on it. We're not going to kind of divulge the voting system, but everybody um, who's been on the pod this year has had a chance to vote um, for a a few albums and we've come up with a list at the end we're probably going to mention some of the ones we think we might have missed but um before we go into number 10 because position 10 and position 11 were almost sort of about the same point ben i just wanted to ask you about the album that just missed out on the top 10 which we featured as a featured album earlier in the year and that was the radioheads and moonshape pool now it's been out a few months and any thoughts on that and where it stands in radioheads oeuvre yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I possibly, with hindsight, possibly um, was a bit more enthusiastic than it merits. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I still think, I still placed it um, my, in my top five, third in my top five. Um, You're giving my, away the methodology, Ben. Oh, you sorry. Know. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, in terms, of, in terms of sort of my verdict and, and certainly my first impressions, I think they were coloured by the fact that I seriously dislike King of Limbs. Mm. And I think it was, <clears throat> I'd, I'd almost thought that Radiohead were, were not for me anymore. Um, but certainly for this album, I felt that um, you know the return to form uh, tag is 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 much used, probably too much used. Um, but right in this case, um, I think <clears throat> the rest of the, you know, the album as a whole is 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 very good. Burn the witch, particularly the themes in that paranoia, witch hunts, prejudice, scapegoating, division is basically twenty sixteen in the song. Um, I don't think there's a song that came close to capturing all that in you know in in three or three or four minutes. Um, wonderful song, wonderful video, and as I say, the rest of the album isn't bad at all either. <laughs> yeah, so Radiohead have just missed out. They were number one in our local record store track records uh, uh, rundown. Um, which brings us to number 10. We're in time on <clears throat> Alan Freeman fashion without the jingle uh, <laughs> counting downwards. Um, it's an album that was number 41 in the NME's rundown. But number two in the quietuses and number one in the pitchfork rundown. So, yes, Amy, um, thoughts on Mm. Solange's A Seat at the Table? I have a few thoughts. This wasn't my nomination, I should say. Um, This was a really, really hotly anticipated album. We've been waiting since 2008 um, for a new album from Solange. So, I mean, expectations were high, a little bit like they were the Radiohead's album after King of Limbs tempered everybody's, (laughs) managed everyone's (laughs) expectations down. Um, everyone was really excited about this and it was really critically well received Um, and it's interesting in a lot of ways Um, it was written in Louisiana so that's the home of her maternal grandparents so it's an album where she contemplates her heritage namely her black southern heritage and her family Um, there are spoken word interludes by both her mother and her father in which they talk about segregation issues and black pride and they're they're fascinating and they really are of a piece with the album Um, they really do work. She's got a very expressive voice. Um, it's beautiful. Um, she never really feels compelled to wail like her sister does. Uh, and the mu- music has a sort of languid mood. The instrumentation is very sparse. There's layered harmonies, which are lovely. And the overall effect is easy to listen to and very elegant overall. But personally, I found the album to be a little bit maybe meandering. Many of the songs sound quite similar. Um, they sort of merge in with each other and with the interludes, um, and I just found it a little bit boring. 
Yeah, yeah, I hope you heard that. Um, I think uh, whispered under a breath because dare you say that Solange's album was boring when sorry. Well, was the quietest. Sorry to those pitch, on the panel that voted for this. The quietest and pitchfork police will be after you and like knocking at your door for crimes against taste. Um, ben, and, and before I talk to Ben on this, I just want to say that um, obviously we had a lot more than just the three of us on the podcast mm-hmm. this year and uh, some of the albums on here certain people voted for them and certain people didn't and it means that like Simon Mayo in his yearly rundown about movies with Mark Kermode you know he often hasn't seen anything in fact he's never seen anything that's got <laughs> subtitles or, or is foreign at all so you know I think like I think we're going to be fairly open about the fact of some of these albums <clears throat> each of us haven't heard so we're representing the collective that is sounding board really so Ben Solange any thoughts? Um, yeah I mean I, I uh I, I thought it was a very interesting listen. I'll, I'll say that. Um, what, what struck me first of all was the fact it was the sort of the the understated nature of it. It's not bombastic. I think Beyonce mm. is, is bombastic. Not that we should always be comparing the two, but I think it's, that's un- unfair to do. Like I've done it yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah, I think to yeah. do that too much is unfair yeah. on her. In in its own right, it's very sort of it's very jazz, jazzy and sort of soulful and quite soft. I think which is a little bit unsettling. I think given the, the subject matter, it's it's about it's kind of it's quite angry, um, defiant sort of. Um, album in yeah. a lot of ways in the lyrics um, I think uh, it's in it fits in this lineage that's possibly been lost of, of R&B and soul music as being imbued with political significance which is which is a, a good thing to be it's reconnecting um, that deceptively sort of calm and measured way it's expressed like I say it's, it's kind of slightly unsettling um, possibly makes it more potent in a way um, I think what I would say is um, it's a bit like um a bit, I mean, just been talking about Burn the Witch. Um, she she referred to the album um, as her project on identity, empowerment, independence, grief, and healing. So it's it's quite a sort of personal thing, but it's it's the case of the personal is political, and I think there's a lot of um, 2016 in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very much a reflection of the current political mood and climate. Um, what I would say, the word that kept coming up when I was, I was checking out other reviews, including Pitchfork and Quietus, the word that keeps coming up is important. This is an important album. And there's a point with me that where I, if I'm getting hit over the head with the word important, I'm, I'm wondering, yes, but is it a good album? Yeah. Now, I would say that it's it's very worthy and it's it's pretty ambitious, possibly not musically ambitious to me, but um, the fact it's, it's important, um, I'm not, I, th- I think it possibly is important. But what I would then say is that if this is a celebration of, of black culture, which it, it's been acclaimed um, across the board as, there's not much joy in it, I no. don't think. It's quite Why a joyless, it no, it's quite a, quite a sort of sombre, quite a... I mean, is it is it a um, sort of defeatist kind of? It, it feels like it shouldn't be. It feels you know, defi- there's a defiance to it as well. But there's not a lot of joy in there for me. No, I would agree with that. I will say, in her defence, in her videos, she absolutely slays. She it dresses so well. She's so statuesque. They're very very beautiful videos. Um, and they work perfectly. I mean, I think that she couldn't really phone it in with the videos because her sister's Beyonce. She kind of really had to make an effort there. Um, <laughs> but I think that some of the images in the videos really do compound that message about um, black identity um, in that some of the um, people that she has on the screen with her all together um, is a message of solidarity in a way. And I think that they're really beautifully composed, actually. Um, so I think that's probably one of the more interesting things about her. Sorry. I mean, I, I, yeah, the, the interludes. I actually thought the interludes were really interesting, and yeah. possibly more interesting than the songs themselves. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I think it, I think they they 
fit quite well in the context of the album. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not sure I'd necessarily go as far to say boring, but it, it's just a little bit, it's a little bit joyless, that's all, I think. There's not very much sonic variety in it, is there? No, no, no. I mean, I'm just going to file it in the uh, not-my-bag uh, category to be honest mm-hmm. um, you'll probably be a bit astonished as we go through this top 10 how many times we mention that we don't there are albums that one of us or two of us <laughs> particularly don't like so but that's all that's made, that's an interesting concept in itself so on to number 9 and I think Amy again this is a band School of Seven Bells that I first um, heard with their first album I think Alp Alpinisms. Al- Al- Alpine- Alpinisms or Alpinisms, yeah. um, which are, is a jolly good album from mm. probably a decade ago or so now, maybe. 2008 or Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And their new one um, is F- S-V-I-I-B. Um, yes. Um, I voted for this one. So I love this album. This is a very emotional album to listen to, I think. Um School of Seven Bells are a kind of mystical dream pop and maybe more latterly dance pop act from New York. This, tragically, is likely to be their swan song because the founder, Benjamin Curtis, was diagnosed with a rare terminal lymphoblastic lymphoma at the age of 35 a couple of years ago, and he's no longer with us. So this album was partly written by him and his co-founder and sometime romantic partner, Alejandro Dehesra, during his treatment, and then finished and the lyrics added by Dehesra after his death. So the lyrics themselves refer to the various stages of their relationship, as romantic partners and then as friends and serve as a memorial to their time together and it's lovely um so you'd expect given all of this that the experience of listening to this album would be heartbreaking um and bleak and it is incredibly sad but what makes it so remarkable is how beautiful and life-affirming it is at the same time it's a celebration of his life and of their friendship and it has no hint of bitterness about it but it's full of joy and hope for the future it's like a beautiful sunrise after a cold dark night I always think that my favourite kind of music is the kind that makes you dance and cry at the same time, and this certainly ticks both boxes. Yeah. Any particular favourite tracks on the album? Yeah. I think Open Your Eyes yeah. is is probably the highlight. And I think that was the lead single as well. I think it got quite a bit of airplay on um, Six Music because it's quite, uh, in some ways, quite a straightforward sort of synth-pop ballad, maybe one yeah. of their more yeah. radio-friendly mm. songs that they've released, but... The chorus goes, open your eyes, love, because you've been sleeping. It's getting hard to bear watching you all alone. Oh, my God. In the con- if you know <laughs> the context of how it was written, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I can't recommend it highly enough. But I also recommend, it's not on the album, but on this theme, I recommend um, Benjamin Curtis's cover of Joe Ramone's I Got Knocked Down But I'll Get Up, which he recorded in this hospital bed. Right, yeah. It's just yeah. called a very slow, kind of seven-minute droney version okay. of the song. Interesting, yeah. Interesting. He, he came from, um, he was in Secret Machines, I think, wasn't he? So he kind yes. of came yeah. from a sort of sort of droney, psyche rock sort of background. Yeah. It kind of has gone in that direction. I have to say, I haven't heard the album, but I'm really, especially now you've spoken about it at length, I'm really intrigued to... to Try it out, I have to say. I think it's, it's interesting you mentioned the sort of latter turn towards dance music because I think it is sort of a bit more dancing upbeat than mm. the first album. Yes, and, um, and the, with the first album particularly, they were a little bit kind of mystical, weren't they? Yeah. With yeah. a kind of slightly tribal drum beat thing going on. And, yeah. Um, I mean, some of the parallels I was thinking of a band that Ben introduced me to um, who I think they do resemble a little bit, which is I Break Horses, a Swedish band who, who are good, and also um, M83 at times as well. Yeah. I think you know who I That's really love, but synth. 
I think did an album this year that totally sunk without trace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just disappointed it's just in that. I remember your disappointment. Having <laughs> been like number two, I think, in the Pitchfork um, Best of the Year with their last album, Hurry Up, I'm Dreaming, and this year mm. nowhere to be seen in any top 500 anywhere, which is a classic, amazing come down. So, um, so, yeah, no, bad stuff. Um, number eight, um, we're going to be turning to, well, we've been influenced by uh, one of Britain's finest kind of record labels Bella Union and uh, Ben this is one for you to expand upon um, yeah um, this is uh, Marissa Nadler um, Strangers um, uh, I've mentioned her on, on the pod before in fact this album before as well I can't remember how many albums she is in now but quite a few she's a, a native of um, Boston I think or she, she records in Boston anyway um, I've been smitten with her since seeing her at uh, All Tomorrow's Parties. I think it was the <laughs> Shellac one. Um, and I bought, on the strength of that, the 2009 album Little Hells, um, which is good. Uh, 2014's July is even better. Um, and this new one is, is on a par, I think. So she's a she's a folk musician in in some ways, if you have to sort of give her a, a brief label. But she's quite interesting because she releases on the very hip uh, Brooklyn label Sacred Bones in the US as a home of a lot of very noisy acts, actually. Right. Um, she's been produced by Chris Cody, who's a sort of go-to producer for the likes of Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and people in, in the US, um, and Randall Dunn, who's produced a lot of kind of left-field noisy things. Um, she's actually collaborated with the black metal band Zaster, who are associates of Sunno, so she's not your average folk singer, really. Um, Spin commented on this. Um, she's the sort of artist you couldn't imagine ever making a bad album, and the newest is more proof, and I'd completely agree with that. Um, Strangers isn't a, a radical departure from the previous albums, um, including July. Um, typical adjectives you find if you're reading a review of, of a Marissa album or show is ethereal, moody, ghostly, shadowy. Um, I think that's all there in this new album, but it's actually, it's actually fleshed out a little more with, with fuller instrumentation. Um, yeah. Janie and Love in particular is, is a song that sounds, you know, it sounds like a full band song, um, leading to, I think, in- inevitable Mazzy Star comparisons. Um, mm. She's got a really stunning voice. Um, it's one of those voices that is needs no particular treatment or modification. Um, there's no hiding it. It's kind of front and centre in, in all the songs. Um, I just think she's, yeah, tremendous and, and not well enough known in this country, I don't think. No, interesting. I mean, Amy and I actually beforehand, we were working out what the the uh, proportion was in our top 10 between British and American artists. Uh, no disrespect to people from elsewhere. Um, but um, we didn't know actually that she was American. So, you know, we, we, we the proportion actually is, if you want to try and guess, 7 uh, 3 in favour of Americans. Uh, Amy, what, what, what were your thoughts? I think you, you found the charms maybe took a bit longer to reveal themselves. Didn't oh, you? guys, this isn't my thing. <laughs> I can't do the floaty wafty thing. <laughs> I can't. That is floaty wafty is basically that's what you get with her. I'm afraid yeah. there's, a, there's a little bit more, a little bit more up tempo. I think in this new one. So yeah, she needs to put a donk on it. I'm afraid. Okay, all right. Okay. I think the cla- the, the music's quite classical and cinematic. But yeah. I, mean, I think, I think I, that's yeah, definitely. You know, certainly the instrumentation I found to be more interesting actually than the actual songs. Yeah. But I need to give it more of a listen to be quite honest. So yeah. Yeah, no, no. Interesting choice, though. And I, 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 she was at number 20 in the quietest. She um, made some lists, I noticed, but right but now. not an awful lot. But, I mean, it's, yeah. like I say, it's not it's not a radical departure. I mean, I think I would say it's on a par with the previous album, which is which is brilliant. <clears throat> um, but it's not as if it's it's a sort of 
come out from the blue and it's suddenly you know yeah. leapt in there. But yeah, I I I really rate it. But yeah. Uh, and we're going to ask you about number seven as well, which is an album which we had <coughs> our featured album a couple of months ago, actually. Yeah, um, so another pretty incredible voice. Um, that's Angel Olsen. Um, his album My Woman was out this year. Um, in fact, Angel Olsen and Marissa Nadler collaborated on a couple <coughs> of covers back in 2012, um, including a cover of uh, Richard and Linda Thompson's My Dreams of Withered and Died, which is pretty exceptional. Um I would say this is this is this is my number one for this year. Um, it's the best album I bought this year, except for the charity shop copy of Abba Gold that I bought in Formby. This is the, <laughs> definitely the best album I bought other than that. Um, I champion- yeah, I championed it in episode nine. Um, we met with a fairly lukewarm reception from from yourself, Rob, and from uh, our guest contributor that day, David. Um, I think. I've gone back to it again uh, in in, pre- in preparation for this uh, for this episode, and my feelings haven't changed. I still think it's an absolutely exceptional album. Um, it's got a, a real sort of uh, two halves to it. The first half has got the sort of pop now. The first song in turn has got a very contemporary feel. Um, she said it was deliberately written um, and put first to screw with people's expectations. Which, yeah, which you I think, can hear that. Which I think that I think that's what certainly the first half of the album is about, uh, and then the. The big single, Shut Up, Kiss Me, Infectious, Flirtatious. It's quite um, very, very upbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's kind of uh, her trying something, I think, completely different. Um, but then in amongst those, there's this very sort of glorious vintage feel of this song called Never Be Mine. I love which, that one. Which apparently she wasn't going to record until her producer said that um, him and his uh, wife had been dancing to it and she and, and he got her to, to put it on the album. Wow. Um, then the second half is completely different. It's all sort of big slow burning Fleetwood Mackie sort of prog epics sister and woman in particular are, are amazing exactly what I yeah I, I, I just think it's it's tremendous it, the change of gear is works for me really well um, the whole album is a sort of exploration of different facets of herself um, it's a it's a very I think powerful expression of, of feminine identity in that respect it's very similar to Solange's album um, but for me far superior um, I think yeah, the, the sort of key line in the whole album is, is the line from, from the climax of Woman, which is a day to understand what makes me a woman. Um, it's just it's just a great album, really great album, I think. Yeah, okay, thanks for that. And if you want to hear us talk more about Angel Olsen, I think it's episode, episode nine, nine, nine yeah. which came out in September 2016. And um, yeah, we had an interesting discussion that night about, about Angel. Um, number six, um, our guest who came onto the podcast in November, well, actually, it was in early December. Uh, Brian Guerin um, is responsible, really, for the appearance of this very interesting uh, artifact in uh, mm. in the top ten at number six. And uh, Amy's going to talk a little bit about Xenia <laughs> <laughs> Rubinos's yeah, I, Black Terry Cat. Black Terry Cat. Yeah. No, I, this wasn't uh, my nomination. I don't even know how. Didn't know how to pronounce her so name. Until you just said it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. 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 I didn't hate this, and I was surprised I didn't because I really hate jazz, and I'd heard this was a bit jazzy, so I, I listened to this with some trepidation. But actually, I really quite liked it. Um, so Xenia, she's a Brooklyn-based, but she has Puerto Rican and Cuban heritage. But parts of this album are, again, about the experience of being a woman of colour. And honestly, the fact that this theme is coming up again and again in this top ten could not make me happier. I think that's really great. This album is a little bit (coughs) jazzy, as I mentioned. Quite funky, a bit neo-soul and also a bit rock. Um, 
it's quite interesting. The jazzier elements can kind of border on challenging at times for me. It's not my thing. But they're consistently tempered by a catchy immediacy to the choruses or riffs or other elements that keep pulling you back in and keeping you engaged. I mean, frankly, I'm just quite a lazy music listener. I don't like have to work for it. <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't get engaged me immediately. I'm just like, next. next. Um, and... Just at the moment where I'm like, next, she pulls me back in with something that really grabs me. So she's really good at um, kind of manipulating the listener that way, I think. Um, my favourite track is, track I think, track two, which is Mexican Chef, um, which kind of lays out all the ways that brown people do all the heavy lifting in the West. <laughs> um, it's really fantastic um, and has a, fan- a brilliantly catchy, chanty chorus. I really enjoyed it. I, I think that's a cracking track, actually. In my investigations of the album since Brian nominated it, uh, Mexican Chef really stood out for me, whereas uh, I think it was Lonely Lover, which was another kind of prominent single I just wasn't as keen on. So um, I'm also a little bit perplexed by the title of the album, Black Terry Cat. Yeah, um, I didn't get that either. Uh, is it a cat <laughs> called Terry, or is it something to do with terry cloths? I don't, yeah. I don't know. Um, if, if, if Twitterians could... Uh, Enlightenness, I'd, I'd be grateful. Yeah, I think I remember Brian saying that this is an album that he came across via Spotify, and we we had the episode on streaming, streaming didn't we? And, and about how the sort of discovering new music and things, and so that that's an example. He, I think he said it might not have been the only one in his top five that I think he, he discovered in this way. Something that he never heard of, came across, thought was great. Um, I have to say, I've not heard anything. I've not actually listened to anything from it, but it sounds it sounds intriguing. So it is. Yeah. I think it's worth a listen. Yeah. Mm. Okay, um, so yeah, an interesting um, appearance maker in our in our top uh, ten for sure, um, and I think it has appeared here and there elsewhere, but hasn't necessarily been that prominent. Um, number five's album is really in the top ten mainly because of the influence of David Cox, who came on again for episode nine, which we mentioned. Um, despite being like the biggest Nirvana fan in the world ever, Chance the Rapper's album uh coloring book has made it into our top five um except it's not an album it's actually a mixtape um aside from my annoyance that there's no actual kind of tape involved or cassette recordings involved and the misuse of the term mixtape in this day and age when actually it's just a compilation cd um a mixtape we've discovered is actually by definition particularly in the world of hip-hop um, something that brings together a mixture of samples, original material and collaborations. And boy, there are a lot of collaborations on here, including people like Justin Bieber, of all people. Um, and I'm told that it is a way to avoid um, permissions charges in that this LP was the first release to chart solely on streaming, which again brings us back to the streaming episode, which I think was August. Did we talk about streaming? Uh, I think? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, really, really interesting in terms of kind of what this means for the music business. He's a big star. Um, you know, he hangs out with Obama and all sorts of other people. Um, he admits to being influenced by MC Hammer. Um, he's a Christian. Um, and, um, but his heart, you know, his heart's in the right place. I mean, he's been involved in kind of helping combat gun violence in Chicago, etc. Okay. Um, it's got a very kind of gospel feel to the album. Very, very upbeat. I mean, you can see why it's big. I mean, you really can. Um, so generally, I think, like, you know, a lot to like. Um, I would hesitate, though, to, to provide approval to the fact that We The People soundtracked a night commercial and another track was used by Nestle to soundtrack a Kit Kat commercial. I I don't think that's okay, but you know, I know mm. that people 
kind of vary in their opinions on these kind of things. But um, there's a difference between a, a track being used like subsequently and like people collecting money for it and actually something being recorded specifically for that purpose. I'm just wondering in this day and age, how has it got to this? But I wouldn't say recording music for commercials is on a par with flying two planes into a building and like killing 5,000 people, which, you know, I think it's, it's, it's not perhaps the biggest crime in the world, yeah. but I think it is necessarily a little bit problematical. Yeah. And, you know, I think you could certainly therefore accuse this of being a corporate exercise. You know, there's, there's, yeah. there's, it's, it's unavoidable that phrase, I think. But if you're not charging, sorry to interrupt, but if you're not charging for your music, how else are you going to, you know, if you're not charging for the downloads themselves, yeah. you have to monetize it it's somewhere. It's a good point. Good and I point. think this raises a lot of mm. interesting questions about how music is now being monetized because yeah. it's getting harder and harder to finance your career simply by selling your albums and your singles. And so, um, you know, we're getting more and more kind of advertising revenue and, you know, are we now at a point where the... The, the permissions, the rights charges from, from your, you know, the record um, companies who would own the songs that you're sampling could wipe out the money that you would make from, from selling your records. Are we now in that? Are we now in that? that place? Oh, yeah, because, I'm sure we are. Mm. Because otherwise, why would mixtapes even exist? Yeah. Free to, yeah. Free to download. Um, mm. You know, maybe, maybe maybe it just is really challenging. Maybe it's so challenging that you have to do a Kit Kat advert. If yeah. so, you know, if that's how if that's how you you fund your career, I find it quite difficult to to hold that against him. Actually, yeah, yeah, no, and I think fair comment, and it's certainly a cultural phenomenon that I think we're going to have to return to on the pod next year. You yeah. know, yeah. I was talking about Lost Camp Seen Lost on the last episode and about their problems of funding touring things. Mm. I remember them saying that obviously they had a big dilemma that they end up selling. Um, Yumi dancing to Budweiser. Now that, I remember that, that. They, they did that, and I think they kind of did it despite themselves, but it meant that they were able to keep going effectively. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. it's not, again, it's something that instinctively I would think is problematic, but actually, would I rather have more music from them and for them to keep going? Mm. Um, well, I think yes, I would. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a tough, tough decision, really. Yeah, and uh, Nike and uh, Nestle, if you're listening, um, we are open to offers for the, the pod <laughs> yeah. to be sponsored. Um, I can't honestly say that we would follow such a kind of uh, religiously moral path ourselves if said offer came our way. Although it is disappointing to note that Kit Kats are made by Nestle now and not by Roundtree. But anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> on to number four, which is perhaps a surprise. <clears throat> appearance maker um it did appear in a really good website uh top 30 um for the rabbits which uh is at for the rabbits on twitter it's a really really good kind of indie pop mainly website with some really yeah, good videos isn't on it that surprising although it was also yeah. in the AV, av club's top 50 oh was it yeah. yeah yeah and this is a band from the community of pity me in county durham uh martha and we've mentioned them on the pod before blisters in the pit of my heart and amy you're a fan i am a fan i love this album um so martha it's quite a generic name but they're searchable on the web as martha diy if you're interested Mm -hmm. which tells you something about where they fit in your record collection um they're a straight edge teetotal vegan queer anarchist pop punk band i think i've got all of the all the members (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um they're really energetic and they're hooky and they're fun, they're slightly twee, they're often lyrically political. Um they're quite they're known for recording queer young adult love songs, which are really sweet. Um if our listeners are wondering whether or not this is for them, 
it's funny that you mentioned Los Campesinos, actually, because I think that if you like Los Campesinos, there's a reasonable, particularly the first two albums, there's a reasonable chance that you'll also like this, maybe. I've, Shares... I've agreed that, and Johnny Foreigner as well, I think they're kind of similar, yeah. but it's, it's more... It's more punk pop, but it is in the same sort yeah. of ballpark. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, it does share some features. It got, it's got the kind of shouty, sweet boy-girl vocal harmonies in which the boy is a bit shouty and the girl is sweet. It's got a lot of bouncy energy. And it's got a lot of, like, the kind of hyper-literate lyrical content, kind of scattergun references here and there. Um, you know, there's uh, Goldman's detect- private detective agency reimagines early 20th century anarchist Emma Goldman as a private investigator. What? I don't. I don't know. Um, and it's kind of touches on the reason that I really like this album because much as it it sounds very young, like the early work of Lost Camp, it kind of perfectly encapsulates the years from like eighteen to twenty two years of age. You know those like young adulthood years when you're like really idealistic and you're frantic and it's kind of angsty and it's intellectually ambitious but sort of undisciplined at the same time. It's quite a nostalgic sound for me. So even though like there's a sense that this band is not yet at their most accomplished and they're still growing and developing, they're very politically aware and I think they're probably going somewhere interesting. Um, they are still really young, as I say, and I think in the meantime, their songs are so much fun to listen to and to pogo to and there really aren't enough pop-punk songs sung in a Geordie accent, if you ask me. <laughs> so that's why I like them. I was wondering about the availability because every time I do a search for them, it just comes up with the Bandcamp page. Yeah, that's I mean, how they, I listen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. have they kind of eschewed being available on things like iTunes and stuff like that? I don't know. Yeah, mm. they're not on any of the streaming services that I use. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't actually know, to be honest, but given the, that they are a, a DIY pop-punk band, I wouldn't be They're surprised. on Spotify, because that's oh, why really? I was listening to them, yeah. Mm. yeah. On Spotify, they're yeah. not. Mm. I don't mm. think they're on Apple Music. I don't think they're on Tidal. Mm. I mean, that really means they're sort of up against the wall come the revolution, aren't they? You know, I mean, if they've like kind of bowed to the pressure of Spotify. But anyway, yeah. um, uh, I, I actually liken them a little bit as a sort of British version of um, Pup, who we reviewed uh, earlier in the year. Okay, um, I, I think that. that was in kind of, I keep on guessing. Uh, episode, the episode eight. I've episode got it, I've got eight. it yeah, episode eight, yeah. Uh, and, and actually superior, I think, to them. But I, 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 what about you, Ben? What, what's your feeling? Well, um, yeah... I'm going to be a naysayer again, I'm afraid. I, I really wanted to like this for, for two primary reasons, because I could hear the Los Campesinos thing straight away, and I love mm. Los Campesinos. Also because they're North Easterners, and there's nowhere near enough good music from the North East. Um, it's a, a sort of source of much shame. Um, they're very you know perky, um, lightweight, um, kind of, yeah, upbeat. Um, again, I was comparing them to Pup. I'm not a huge punk pop fan, but I was... Comparing them unfavourably to Pup, actually, because I think Pup had... The songs have just got a bit more weight to them. Um, personally, I found the... I think, you know, all, it's very laudable, all the things they're standing for, but I found those those references, that are, those sort of literary references it's peppered with as a bit of a sort of... Um, a bit of a garnish, really. That's what it feels like to me. It might not be... You know, that might be... They might be coming from that place, but the music, it felt a bit scattershot. Yeah, um, yeah. I also think that... There's a bit of a problem, and this isn't just with with punk pop, with with all sort of forms of art, um, all different forms of art. That um, you're taking a, a genre that is pretty pretty brainless traditionally, and they're trying to make it intellectual. I'm not sure it really works. Um, I mean, it, this this genre for me is will be sort of forever associated with likes of Blink, 
182 and some 41. Oh, and, fair. And, that and, is not and fair. This, this doesn't sound, to me, this doesn't sound, other than lyrics, this doesn't sound a massive amount different. And you talk about the Geordie accent, the, some of the vocals do nothing. That, the vocals on that sound like pure American, just punk pop to me. I, I, want, I really want to like it. Um, and I did really like it in one respect, which is for the lyric in 11.45, Legless in Brandon. The lyric is... Um, Yogurt good for my mind, but not for my productivity until I realised that it wasn't yogurt, it's your good. So even that wasn't quite as good as I thought it was initially. <laughs> so I did I did like I say I really wanted to like it. And I didn't I didn't actually dislike it, I just I just didn't think it was as good as it as it might have been. Yeah. I mean I I like it. I mean I think it's uh, any band that's got a track called Chekhov's Hangnail is uh, you know, getting my vote. That's um, a perfect example of the kind of literary reference that you'll find on this album. Yeah. It's it you think Oh, and then they don't. There's not really any further. No, they probably just made up the title. They probably afterwards. haven't even read any Chekhov. Um, it's a it good... doesn't actually matter, really, because no. because when you're that age, you probably do. You are, but people of that age group are pretentious, and they often pretend to know a lot more than they really know. Yeah, but actually, they just want to listen to punk, punk pop music. Yeah, and that's fine. Yes. I, I I I agree in the sense that yeah, the, the musically it's it's appealing, but then also that yeah, that kind of. Sense of ambition, or that that reading around that idealism. Maybe I'm just too cynical and too old for it. But yeah. you know, I really enjoyed. I did really enjoy the Pup album, so I, I'm not entirely sure. I think the Pup no. album didn't have the same <clears throat> didn't have the same sort of um, intellectual ambition. I don't think. Yeah, um, I think it's it's this is difficult for me because I actually kind of agree with everything you're saying. Right, but it doesn't really. It doesn't really mean anything that I like this because this is this could have been developed in a lab to appeal to me. It's got mm, all yeah. of the music. It's got all of the the poppy features that are just going to hook me in. Like in, um, I think it's in Chekhov's Handnail actually. There's that device that you sometimes hear in a pop punk song where they repeat a line from the chorus over and over again, and then every third time strum a power chord. And they do that for about 20 or 30 seconds. I'm a sucker for it every single time. I just love it, yeah. even though it's really basic. Um, it's just I was always going to like it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's good. See, what I've said <clears throat> kind of troubles me as well, because as a fan of Los Campesinos, I feel like I should really like it. And yeah. I'm kind of like, what is actually the difference between this and that? I mean, this is a bit more punky, but I, I you know, I, I, I just couldn't quite... Maybe Los Campos is a bit more structurally inventive. I think it is. I think it is. But... Um, you know the, the the lyrics, particularly you know some of the early lyrics, they're they're on the same sort of par, pretentious wise. But I don't know. I I I, I would wanted to like it, and um, I didn't dislike it, but I wanted to like it more. Okay. So. No, no, no. I agree with you and disagree with you simultaneously. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, I think we're pretty pleased that an album with such a kind of home spun, homemade feel has appeared so high up in our rankings. I think that's kind of what we're all about as a podcast, really. Sure. Um, number three, as someone from Reading, um, which actually has a slightly better musical heritage than you might expect, going back to the shoegaze era in particular. Um, I'm obviously always a little bit biased. Um, but nonetheless, it came as some surprise to me that an ugly duckling of a band, uh, Tellyman, who came out of the ashes of indie also rans albeit albeit decent indie also rans Pete and the Pirates and then turned out a no more than serviceable first LP in breakfast to have come up with something you know really really quite a lot better um this year in brilliant sanity and um it's all about the songs really for me I think they they have really got it's a very strong album in terms of the tunes and the kind of sing-along anthems and I think the kind of indie anthems type thing 
Um, I think Amy's going to sort of talk a little bit about this as well, but I think they're possibly, you know, harking back a bit to the to the nineties in feel and the noughties as well. You know, I think they're they're sort of certainly, you know, like a little Definitely. bit out of place in this era. Exactly. You yeah. know. Um, do you want to sort of expound a bit more on that? But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I will to to, to preface what I'm going to say about them being slightly out of time is I do actually quite I like this album. It's really tight and accomplished and melodic, um, and it does sound, it's kind of, when you when I listen to this, like I was, it's early 80s style, new wavy guitar pop with craft worky influences. Mm. And so I was thinking, wow, this would have absolutely killed in 2005. You know, <laughs> if, you know, they would have been up there with, you know, Franz Ferdinand, they would have been playing the main stage at all of the main festivals. And in 2016, they peaked at number 51. Um, mm. So, you know, I mean, I think, you know, Yes, it's a slightly nostalgic sound, maybe. I think also it should be said that 10 years ago they would have been wearing skinny jeans and now they're wearing these dad jeans with, like, high waists that come up to here, Mm. Um, which is interesting. (laughs) Um, And I know, like, chart positions are not an indicator of quality and nor are they only the measure of success, so I don't want to get too hung up on that. Um, But this album did cause me to reflect on the difficult position guitar music finds itself in the popular culture of 2016 because it really is quite culturally irrelevant right now and chart is quite hostile to guitar music it's a really difficult commercial environment for even a band like this which is very likable and and writes songs that are really um can really accomplished and in another you know in, the, in a different kind of cultural environment would really be very quite successful i think but the flip side of that is that this is the only white boys with guitars type act in our 2016 top 10. Sorry, spoilers. Um, and that increased diversity is overall a really good thing. So it's not something... Martha, not it's mixed men and women, mixed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah mixed yeah, men yeah. and women. Yeah. Actually, thinking about it, don't they also have a British Asian drama? Yeah, they do. Not Martha, yeah. but Tony Man. Yes, yeah, so I think so. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, even that's great, very diverse list. Yes, I mean, actually, the representation, without giving anything away about the top two, the representation of, of female vocalists is is very, very strong in this top ten. Um, Which is great. Without actively looking to try and make it that way, I have to say. So, I think, um, and the musical styles. I mean, I think we're all over the place, really. So, you know, and given, I think we talked earlier on about the fact that we probably spent 11 months mainly talking about white boy pays guitar and this uh, (laughs) (laughs) this top 10 doesn't necessarily represent that so here we are we've probably lost half our Twitter followers and half our listeners but uh, um, yeah so Telling Man Brilliant Santa Tick number 3 I think they they come across as a very likeable hard working band Um, I mean Ben what what, what are your thoughts yeah I I listened to this a few times Um, eventually I mean you and uh, and Neil have both been talking about it quite a lot so it was about time that I I did Um, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was good. Um, nothing more than that. I think um, it's sort of quite moderately ambitious indie music, not not too experimental. What I quite liked about it was that it's was it sort of slightly um, uh, that slightly dated feel. And it's that it's not um, indie music that's been seduced by R and B. Um, it's not like Glass Animals. It's not like Wild Beasts. It's a bit more like field music, I think, in that respect. There's the elements of the new wave, a bit of bit of Talking Heads in there, also. Um, Amy, you mentioned the craftwork thing. I think that's very interesting. The way that fits in, it doesn't feel um, 
forced, I don't think, either. Like, generally when you're getting sort of craft-worky, kraut-rocky sort of influences, it's in the sort of psych sort of feel. This is this is a fairly mainstream-sounding, I guess, indie yeah, album. Yeah. Um, and he works really well. Again, unfashionable. It's got very clear lyrics and vocals. I think that's quite, quite unfashionable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quite like that as well. Um, I think in terms of songs... Um, you mentioned in the past, Rob, Dusseldorf is a, a really good yeah. opener. Um, Dropout is a, is a real standout, I guess, because it is sonically a bit different. Yes. Um, mm. Partly, but it also is the only song that goes past five minutes and all the others are sort of between three and four. Um, I really liked Glory Hallelujah and Tangerine as well. Um, and, Amy, you mentioned Franz Ferdinand. There's a song called Superglue, which I think is is pure Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. Um, I agree, 2005, they would have been, you know, making a killing. Mm-hmm. But they they just to me like I, said, I kind of like the fact they're out of time um but i don't think it probably does them any favors in terms of success well maybe they're ahead of time maybe they are maybe they are i think i mean they're nowhere near the the top rankings in all the other charts i've seen at the end of the year and amy mentioned the number 51 position in the actual chart so i'm pretty pleased that we've sort of stepped outside that and uh given some credit to an album that I think, you know, i think has been a real credit to them and also i think the level of improvement from the the first album is such that we can maybe expect something pretty pretty serious next time. So I hope so. We I wish see. them well. And much as this is an unfashionable album, it's very easy to like. So if you haven't heard it, I recommend that you give it a spin. Yeah. So unfortunately, we're running out of time a bit. So I think we're going to miss out number two. But no. <laughs> <laughs> Stop, guys, because I have views. Number two. Number two. Number two. You have the floor, Amy. Okay, so. Um, Anybody who might know me will be able to guess what I'm about to talk about. And yes, it is Beyonce. It's Queen Bee. We're going to talk about Lemonade. So, right, so let's get started. I'm going to take a deep breath. It's the tail end of 16. And actually, it's quite hard to talk about Lemonade now because what can you say that hasn't already been said? This is the most discussed album of recent years. And it is a rich text for analysis as well because not only is it a visual album, but it weaves the personal with the political, with irresistible celebrity gossip as well. And the songs and the visuals and the gossip and the thematic aspects of the art all interact with each other in a kind of, in many inexhaustibly fascinating ways that kept pop nerds like me occupied for months. So, just to recap, because I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with Lemonade. Yeah, not at all, I'm afraid. Oh my god! I know, I know. Okay, right, so let's start at the beginning then. So... This is the album that was widely interpreted to be hauling her husband, who is Jay-Z, over the hot goal, hot coals for his affair with clothes designer Rachel Roy, who may or may not be the Becky with the good hair from the song Sorry. Okay, so it's both an album and a short film featuring poetry from the black British poet Warson Shire, which is very powerful. And so it has kind of narrative cohesion to it that takes Beyonce through the various emotional stages of her betrayal. So it goes through from intuition, through anger, and then all the way to forgiveness and retribution. Um, and this in itself is newsworthy because Beyonce is not a pop star to make herself publicly vulnerable at all. She had not commented publicly about this affair in any way. Um, so that was going to get people talking. But there's another much more interesting aspect of this album which comes through to some extent in the songs, but much more when combined with the visuals, and that it's about black female identity, again, another theme of today, and representation and empowerment. So whether or not you believe the rumours about Jay-Z stepping out on her, Beyoncé is using the scorned woman trope to draw parallels between her 
and other black women in American society to express solidarity with them and to represent them. From what, from, and that, from what I understand, was hugely, hugely meaningful to that community. And certainly it did do good things for the Black Lives Matter movement, particularly I'm thinking when she and her dancers performed Formation at the Super Bowl this year in Black Panther outfits. So great! <laughs> um, and I'm thinking also of parts of the visual album, um, parts that were filmed on a, a plantation, for example, mm. and that featured mothers of poli- police brutality victims holding portraits of their de- deceased children. It was so powerful. So culturally, it was a hugely impactful album, and it's politically significant. But musically, it's extremely varied. Um, there's soul in there, there's rock in there, there's hip-hop, there's a country song, Beyonce doing country, you guys. <laughs> and sonically, it's very different from her previous album, which is even more remarkable. Really, basically, she's saying, I'm Beyonce. You know, bow down, bitches. This is the total domination of all genres. She can do anything. So... Having said all that, I don't think this is her best album end-to-end musically. I think um, Angry Bay is more effective than Inspirational Bay. So the forgiveness songs on the album towards the end are, in my opinion, weaker. And I might even say sometimes a little banal and not necessarily convincing either because, like, really, you guys are just fine now? I just... I'm not sure. But if you watch the film, it all holds together as a cohesive artistic statement. And it's so powerful and moving and really just the work of a mature artist at her peak. Um, So I know that you guys are Beyonce noobs in some respects (laughs) and you don't know Lemonade. So, Rob, I know that you listen to a couple of songs. Yeah, I've had a bit of a listen on YouTube, desperately cramming as if for some exam in the the last week or so. And I mean, I think... um, if you look at it over a continuum of kind of what I would consider mainstream, for want of a better word, music over the last 20 years, increasingly meaningless term, but let's just use it for the sake of it. I mean, I think I probably made the mistake of zoning out a bit around the time that Stock Ake and Waterman were literally doing the kind of sausage factory with the same beat in the background and just getting TV stars to come in and, mm-hmm. and sing. And since then, obviously, we've seen an incredible map of inventiveness um, you know, and and and, yeah. and you know, from so many acts, and I've possibly been guilty of sort of retreating a little bit into my indie and, like, to an extent, kind of techno dance ghetto, various sort of forms of music that I, I like the most. And of course, the internet exacerbates that more in allowing you to just listen to what you're familiar with, what mm. you the types of music that are covered in the publications that you read. Um, and despite you know. Um, you know, I'd be slightly underwhelmed by, you know, the fated albums of recent years, the Frank Oceans and the the um, uh, um, Kanye's and, mm. and, and the sort of like the real kind of megastar people. You know, I've like yeah. always kind of like thought, right, OK, so many people are talking about these. I'm going to have to get them just to form my own opinion. Mm-hmm. And um, Kendrick Lamar last year is a, is a classic example as well. And, you know, I've just listened to them a few times and thought these are pretty good and then not. Not, not listen beyond that and so you know I've, I've, I, yeah I'd be the first to admit I've had a slightly kind of closed mind you know Beyonce having a new album out that doesn't necessarily sort of register with me apart from the fact that you came up to me into the kitchen at work and screamed Made at me made you when listen to me about Beyonce yeah exactly <laughs> I think at one um, point you eventually started to walk off and I went Rob come back yeah. <laughs> listen to me <laughs> but my, my sort of investigations this week have unearthed <laughs> some music of real invention I have to say and like you know endlessly kind of creative um rightly I think 
placed highly in our chart. Um, mm. Definitely willing to be converted. Uh, exciting stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. so exciting. Just, mm. just brilliant. I mean, I don't even know where to start, Rob. It, it, it is a fantastic album, particularly, I think, the the first half before she starts to patch things up with Jay-Z, <laughs> which comes comes across as maybe a little bit forced and not necessarily that genuine, maybe. Mm. Um, but the first half of the album particularly is just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Ben? Mm. I haven't, like I say, I haven't, honestly, I haven't heard... I yeah. honestly haven't heard you it. You probably have, and I really, No, but I yeah. haven't, though. I don't think I have. If you have the really, television on it. No, no I, I, I really think I should... Certainly on the strength of that, I really... I'll, well, I'll be in trouble if I don't check it out. Um, <laughs> but it sounds to me like... A, well, again, I don't really want to do this, but it sounds like a great companion piece to Solange's album. Um, but, 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 I mean, but, it's clearly but the it's, other way around, Rob. But, but, it's, but, it's, got, no, but, but it's got the, vari- it's got the mm-hmm. variety to it that Solange's hasn't got, which makes yes. it sound... It does make it sound much more interesting to me. It sounds like... They've almost both been trying to make the same album thematically, but they've gone about it in different ways. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And as much as I, like I said, I spoke about so long as I liked, in a way, the unsettling feel of the <clears throat> sort of very understated jazzy um, backdrop to a lot of those um, songs, the sort of sense of variety does appeal to me a bit more, I have to say. I'd, I'd, be, um, I'd be interested to hear mm. it. Yeah, no, I think the, the, the fact that you, you haven't had an opportunity to listen to it, it's not the easiest album to get hold of. It's streaming on Tidal, I think it's on iTunes. It's not streaming anywhere else. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think Self-Title, which came out the tail end of 2013, I think it took 10 months to start streaming on Spotify. So, mm. you know, she's quite controlling over that aspect for it, which is another, you know, way of controlling your revenue stream, I suppose, because she obviously has, you know, she's got some shares in Tidal, she's married to Jay-Z. Um but I mean, this does make me think about about Beyonce as a commercial artist because she is the kind of the sin qua non ultimate mainstream pop artist. But actually, when you look back at her performance, her commercial performance over the last ten or fifteen years, her last number one single was in two thousand and eight. Mm. You know, Formation, which was the, um, the 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 buzz single from Lemonade peaked at number 31 in the UK charts. I think it did a bit better in the US. I think it was 10 or 11. But really, you know, she hasn't... I think Lemonade got to number one, but very briefly. But she certainly hasn't been performing anywhere near on the same level as, like, Drake or Rihanna for, for years and years. And she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She's doing her own thing. She's really driven to make a contribution to the canon, an artistic contribution to the canon, in a way that her husband no longer is, clearly. Um, and... She's collaborating with so many interesting people, and um, and I just think it's fascinating. She's 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 a, she's an artist to be reckoned with, and I think she needs to be taken seriously. Great. Well, what a what a fantastic kind of eulogy there from Amy. I hope you enjoyed that, and I mean, certainly it's uh, very persuasive, and uh, yeah, be interesting to see. Very high up a lot of the rankings in the various albums. I think the Guardian had it at the number one. They um, did. The only naysayers were the quietest who had her at 53. <laughs> That's not <laughs> but they would right. probably regard that as quite a high at a concession. Yeah, yeah. Um, although Solange, of course, was number two for them. Yeah. Uh, so 51 places between Solange and Beyonce, according to the quietest. Mm. Um, anyway, number one. Um, we've already featured this album as one of our albums of the month. I think it was in March. It was early on March, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I'm very pleased to... Um, announce this because it's a complete newcomer this year although someone I think in her 30s with a kind of 
yeah, really good career of kind of classical training and classical composing behind her. But Anna Meredith is our number one with the album Varmints, which, if you haven't heard it, is a little bit hard to classify, really. It's uh, um, very varied. Um, different vocalists on it. She does some of the vocals herself, and she also has sort of a male vocalist who joins her. Um, you can certainly see the classical training. Um, mm, yeah. You know, that's, that's pretty upfront. You know, lots of different instrumentation, lots of kind of keyboards as well. Um, just some good tunes as well. I mean, some really, really good songs. Yeah. Um, and I just think, as soon as I heard this earlier in the year, I was desperately keen for something that sounded new and fresh. And I thought this really fitted the bill and um, absolutely delighted to have it as number one in our chart. Um, mm-hmm. Folks, thoughts? Yeah. It, it didn't make my, my uh, top five personally, but it was very close. Um, I remember when we my first hearing it, just... You know, it's sort of head spinningly varied. I think mm. um, there's there's pretty much everything in it. There's there's that very heavy brass in that first song, Nautilus. Mm. There's synths. There's video game sounds. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of tech metal guitars in various places, mm. which seem very very strange, but somehow seem to work. Um, I think it, <clears throat> it, it it's beauty is its, its variety. Um, it's got a completely unbridled sense of creativity, which is quite um, unusual to see as well. I think, which does make it hard to get a handle on it. Um, I think. It's evident that um, it's it's been produced by someone who has a very good grip of um, music, I think. But it's not bogged down in theory either. There's a definite feeling that although she's she's come from the classical world, I think there's a, a feeling that if you're going to make a pop album, you've, there's got to be a levity to it, and there's got to be. A, yeah. a, I mean, it's a, this is um, there's a definite joyousness to this album. I think definitely. Um, it's really experimental um, in in a lot of ways, but it's also an awful lot of fun. Um, I think she was saying that uh, part of the reason that motivated her to, to make the album is that she she finds the classical world very stuffy and very um, bound by convention. And this in in you know making a pop album, there's a lot more freedom. Um, and I think yeah. The only other thing I'll say is that listening back to the album, "Shill" was was a song that also really struck me when I first listened to the album. It's still I think possibly the most intense song I've heard <laughs> this year. Absolutely incredible. Um, it's a really, a really um, unique album, I think. How about you, Amy? Hmm. Well, I mean, full disclosure, I listened to it for the first time in the car on the way over here, so I'm not exactly prepared to talk about it. But I will be listening to it more. I was really impressed. I really liked it. it it's a little bit, and it is enormous fun. I mean, it sounds a little bit like if a John Hughes movie was avant-garde, that's what the soundtrack would sound like. <laughs> Do you know yep. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very... Um, it's interesting that you say she has a classical background. It does sound very compositional mm. um, in the way that it's in the, in the way that it's put together. I I don't know. I think it's really cool. I'm going to be listening to it more. Yeah. Well, that's the number one. Anna Meredith's Varmints. Um, very quick mention, folks, of stuff that hasn't made the top ten. I've got one or two, but um, thoughts. Uh, the the two minor didn't. Um, one is uh, Mayans, who are actually locals. Um, uh, they uh, sort of. Their album is, is, I think, six tracks. It's very sort of holy fuck battles type stuff. Um, analog dance music, I guess. I really, really like them. Um, unfortunately, they've gone on indefinite and probably permanent hiatus uh, after the release of the album, um, partly because one of the members is, has gone to further his career as a butler in the US. Um, very, very Oxford. Um, and the other one for me uh, that just missed out was, was Mogwai's um, uh, Atomic, um, which is... Reworked versions of material they wrote for Mark Cousins' documentary uh, Atomic Living in Dread and Promise, which is about a cheery documentary about nuclear disaster since Hiroshima. Um, the songs are quite muted, I think, um, because they're very much in the service of the the, the film's content. Um, for me, 
it's better than both their previous soundtrack efforts, like Zidane and Les Revenants. Um, I actually think it's significantly better than their last proper album, Rave Tapes, which was, a, for me, a big disappointment. Um, it's just proof that they still have plenty of creative juice left in the tank when they want to when they're, and they're sufficiently inspired. Um, so I've got kind of high hopes again for the next proper studio album. Um, Rave Tapes really kind of left me cold a bit for the first first one of their albums that really left me cold but I think Atomic is, is terrific really terrific yeah well Mogwai involved in the Minor Victories collaboration yeah um, so Stuart Braithwaite who's the, the main man in Mogwai is the is the yeah sort of main man again in Minor Victories it's um, <clears throat> him and Rachel Gosling from Slow Dive and Duncan Lockie who's been editors mm. uh, and someone else I can't remember who, who that is mm. but they played in Oxford recently last week and I meant to go and see them and didn't get around to it. Yeah, I was about to ask. I, I gather they were extremely good, though. Yeah. Um, and the album is, is supposed to be very good as well. Yeah. Amy, any thoughts on... Um, I just wanted to give a quick mention to Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion Side B, right. which is um, a collection of songs that didn't make the album Emotion, which was one of my favourite albums of 2015. Um, and they are all fantastic. Apparently, she, she'd she written something like 150 songs for, for Emotion. Um, and so she has this huge back catalogue of songs that haven't yet been recorded um uh and they are all just fantastic joyous fun 80s inflected pop songs that really should be a whole lot more successful than they are she really is the cinderella of pop music um so i wanted to mention that okay and the one from me has come about sort of as is typical at this time of year you know you look at the the end of year polls and charts and you know you often come across stuff that's consistently appearing in them and and you read the descriptions and you think well I really need to go and check that out um one of the things that put me off was that this album had been eulogized on the um National Public Radio's All Songs Considered podcast as like you know one of their favorites of the year and normally I would say that it's a nice podcast and I've got really good presenters but there is a tendency for it to be a little bit verging towards your your kind of uncut mojo kind of like rockist yeah. territory so this this from the description i wasn't sure that i wanted to get the album as it sounded very american very guitar you know i thought i wasn't necessarily in the mood for that kind of thing finally track records yesterday bought it it's the car seat headrest album um oh. and it's brilliant it's really good and um neil and i were talking about it today and he said bits of it and he's very impressed as well so i think actually we've got an album that would have been solidly in the top ten, had we maybe heard it earlier, but this is one of the the kind of hazards of this exercise. I mean, it's getting harder and harder to track everything in a given year, and you make these kind of snap decisions to listen to stuff or not to listen to stuff. Mm. And it, it, as an album, it's incredibly inventive. It's quite long; it's seventy minutes, probably too long. But you know, just all sorts of kind of sounds going on. Great songs, great lyrics as well. Mm. You know, I don't know, Ben. If you, I haven't, you heard, I haven't heard it, but it's it is one of those. Um, he's one of those acts because it's one guy I think isn't yeah, it yeah. He, he's one of those acts that seems to have been sort of picked up as a, as a pet act by Pitchfork and pretty much every other news item is about him doing something or you know yeah. on tour and I, and I should have I should have really investigated but I, I haven't I mean again I think he's I got the impression he's a bit of a sort of solidly classic indie rock type which is quite unfashionable for Pitchfork to be championing but I, I still feel like I should have listened it's and I have got a bit more than that I mean yeah. yes the, the invention is pretty interesting yeah. you know like it's definitely not bog standard yeah. and lyrically it's absolutely fantastic you know yeah. like really really entertaining and you know poetic so you know yeah i mean apologies to all songs considered i think you were right about that one terrific album <laughs> very snap um favorite songs of the year folks 
Don't Hurt Yourself, Beyonce. Okay, all right, which one? Don't hurt yourself. Oh, don't hurt yourself. All <laughs> oh, right, there you go. Exposing <laughs> once again my that complete lack of knowledge of the biggest <laughs> artist in the history of pop music. Anyway, <laughs> Ben, can I talk a little bit, a little bit of length of this, just short, just briefly ish? Yeah, um, well, we, we're running yeah. a bit. bit I was going to say, um, I was, I'm very tempted to say, shut up and kiss me. I was sorry to say, shut up and kiss yeah. me by Andy Lawson, but I won't. I'll say, changes by Charles Bradley. Okay. Um, mm. Now. This is someone, Charles Bradley, I don't know how well known he is in the UK. He's had, he's had a colourful life. Um, he was homeless as a teenager, nearly died due to an allergic reaction to penicillin. His brother was murdered. He was a James Brown impersonator. Um, he's someone to whom success and fame has come very late. His debut album, No Time for Dreaming, was released in 2011 when he was 62. Um, he's sort of uh, politically conscious R&B, a bit like Solange again. Um, 2011's The World Is Going Up In Flames isn't unlike what's going on, I don't think. Um, so he uh, changes, it's a bit of a cheat this, because Changes was actually first released uh, as, a, as a record state, store day single in 2013, but only this year was it the title track to his third album. Um, it's a Black Sabbath cover, um, mm-hmm. it's the ballad, uh, and it's uh, from Paranoid, and it's um, a very sort of soulful and anguished take on that. Um, it seems to make instant perfect sense. Uh, it does for the song. For me, it does for the song um, and its resonance what Johnny Cash did for Nine Inch Nails Hurt. Um, it's, it's about... He was working on, I think, at the time his mother died and it, it takes on an awful lot of extra significance. Um, it's about much more than just relationship breakdown, which the original was. Um, and it's all the more poignant because he's actually been diagnosed with stomach cancer. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's an absolutely terrific song, really terrific. Yeah, okay, that's a good suggestion. My choice, I mean, I was thinking of various ones, um, but I think the one I'd pick out is actually one that Amy recommended to me that actually then emerged as part of a very good album, one of my favourite albums of the year, and that's Beyond the Wizard's Sleeve, Diagram Girl. I love that song. Which is a beautiful kind of fusion of shoegaze and kind of like low-key kind of dance music. It's really pretty. Yeah, it's a lovely song. Errol Alcan, who used to be behind the kind of classic Club Night Trash um, and sort of, I think, was a bit involved in the kind of too many DJs kind of, you know, stuff back in the year, back in the day in the early noughties. Um, he, he's one part of that, I think. Um, and I can't remember who the collaborator is. The album's brilliant. It kind of really fuses um, kind of psychedelia with kind of dance music, and it's got some yeah. great kind of ballads on it as well, you know, terrific stuff. And, but I think that song probably is the one I'd pick out. There have been yeah. quite a few good ones, including many that are on the albums we've had in our top ten. So I'd like to thank Amy... Um, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Ben, thank you for being a, a permanent appearance maker thank this you. year. Um, that's it for the year. We've had twelve episodes, which was the aim at the start of the year. We'll be back um, in 2017 You know, to get that right. Obviously, some of you will be listening to this already in twenty seventeen, as is the nature of podcasts. Um, I won't bore you too much with the coordinates at this point, apart from to say that the main place people contact us is on Twitter, which is at SoundingBoard69. And we'd really like to thank everybody for listening this year. And we're really looking forward to moving on next year and bringing you a whole lot of new Red Hot Music chats. Thank you.